There we are. Uh, Since we are dealing with other church order responsibilities in the mornings, we should look at what service looks like practically among us at the church. Um, So this is more of an anecdote than anything else, uh, to Tiago's point, a footnote, if it were. So we'll be looking at the practical patterns of service as demonstrated by the early New Covenant church. We'll read Acts 6, verses 1 through 7, and we'll pray that God's blessing would be upon us. So Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of wisdom, uh, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And, when, uh, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and uh, Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I recognize that noise. That, that is parenthood, right? Amen. All right, with that said, uh, let us pray. Father, Lord, we thank you uh, for the goodness of you being our God and that we can be your people, that we get to worship you as you have ordained uh, and prescribed in your word. And Lord, may we always be um, cognizant of the fact that we are able to preach, uh, to able to, be, uh, to worship with one another, uh, both mornings and evenings, even during this time in which uh, churches are having to make great struggles in trying to figure out how to worship during these troubling times. Lord, you have still been so good to us that we have been able to be together, to worship together, to fellowship together, to give you praise. Lord, always help us to realize that this is a great privilege and right that we have and that uh, it is a beautiful thing that you have given us as those who live in a free land. Help us now as we think upon your worship, as we think upon your glory, and as we think upon your Christ, that we would indeed hear your word, that we might go outside these doors to live for you, to love you, and to obey you in all things. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. This passage of Acts is one of the key texts for the establishment of the diaconal office and ministry, the ministry of the deacons. Though we will touch on some of the diaconal ministry, our focus will primarily be on the patterns of service in the church. Lately in my schoolwork and other responsibility, I've been on a productivity kick. Uh, I'm sure it will not last long. I try to maximize my time, my work, my effectiveness. Most people, like most people, I'm a solution-oriented person. If there is a problem that needs to be addressed, the best way to address it is to find its best solution. Within the life of the church, this solution-oriented tactic tactic is not always the best way to proceed. Sometimes among the church, there are problems that arise that need different approaches. Sometimes we need to be very nuanced, meticulous, slow. 
But thankfully, that is not what we're talking about tonight. Tonight, we are looking at typical layman approaches to service. We are looking at the obvious and godly solutions to normal problems that arise in the church. We are going to be looking at what I am going to call holy pragmatism. We'll look at this holy pragmatism under three points. The obvious problem, the obvious solution, and the obvious benefit. With those three points, the obvious problem, solution, and benefit, we'll look at the whole, our, what we're calling holy pragmatism from Acts 6. So first, the obvious problem. In Acts 6, verse 1, we read these words. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. We see very early on in the church, members tackled real day-to-day problems. In our romantic reading of the early church, we forget that these were real people with real problems with real church members. We forget that these were people just like us. Not every issue that the early church fought was this major persecution or battle uh, against their surrounding culture. A lot of it was, you know, the tit for tat that we have in our daily churches. And this is our first point. The early church faced obvious, simple, real problems. Of course, this problem over the daily distribution of bread or food had the potential to turn really ugly. There's a, possi- uh, a possibility, or, or there was a possible uh, natural animosity between the Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenists, that's what they're called in the text, against the Aramaic-speaking Jews, the Hebrews. So we see these cultural distinctions highlighted during this problem. The Hellenist widows had certain privileges being infringed upon by improper practices, such as the daily food distribution. In the Old Covenant law and in the Second Temple period, Levitical priests had the wonderful duty to provide food for those in need. Though they were becoming more and more distinctly Christian from, other Judea, uh, from Ju- Judaism, Christians shared many practices with the Jews. Uh, particularly at this time, the Hellenists, the Greek Jews, as Greek Jews who had become Christian, they had the privilege to receive from the food distribution like any Jew or Christian at that point in Jerusalem. But the Hellenist Jews were being neglected by the Hebrews who were distributing the food. The reason for the Hebrew neglect could be manifold. This is something that we need to catch. It could be manifold. There's many reasons that uh, the widows were being neglected. It could be that racial prejudice marked the early church. That is a possibility. There, be, there could just be a communication error between the uh, Greek-speaking Jews, uh, the Hellenists, or the Aramaic-speaking Hebrews. Uh, so that's a possibility. Or it could simply be that the widows did not have husbands to ensure they're being counted as those in need. Thus the problem of being a widow. There were many thousands in the Jerusalem church as well, and so it could just have been a simple logistical error. Whatever the reason, though, whatever the reason... There's an obvious problem at hand. Some Christians were complaining because their people weren't being uh, taken care of. Though it was a comparatively minor problem, the Hellenists started grumbling, and this grumbling caught the attention of the apostles. In response to this grumbling, the apostles state this in verse 2. Read this with me. The twelve summoned the full number 
of the apostles. Catch that number. The full number of the disciples. Let's pause here. Think of this scene. As we see in prior chapters of Acts, the apostles, particularly Peter and John, but we could say the apostles, have been preaching and evangelizing to the point of being thrown in jail and being beaten. We also see how Ananias and Sapphira died for creating problems and neglecting obvious problems by lying and forsaking their responsibility to the church. With just these two facts in mind, the church should have seen at least two things. First, the church should have seen that the apostles had more on their plate than distributing food. And second, the church, the members of the church, should have known the consequences for neglecting or forsaking problems in light of Ananias and Sapphira. The church saw this problem, and the church, it was not the church who responded to this problem, it was the apostles. The apostles had to call the entire church, which was a ton of people at this time. Remember, this is just in Jerusalem at this point. A ton of people. And they had to call the entire church to deal with a minor issue. Brothers, this is a sad and pathetic image of the church. It is sad that the apostles who were being given over to being beaten and imprisoned for the gospel, we're having to deal with such a minor administration issue, especially when the church should have known how to respond. Brothers, this is what, I, what we should see here, is that this is the failure of the church to address an obvious problem that they could handle. The church did not see their problems with one another, nor did they appropriately address their grievances with one another. They didn't try to come to a solution. They just buried themselves into the problem. Rather than seeing their responsibilities in these issues, they either started to grumble against it, such as the Hellenists, against the other members, or they just continued on in their ignorance and neglect. Rather than seek a solution, the Hellenists grumbled, and the Hebrews continued on in their sin. And this small incident became so annoying Enough to the point that it erupted and that it erupted those who had larger issues at hand. Interrupted those who had larger issues at hand. Either some in the church did not see the obvious problem or some didn't respond appropriately. And the problem only grew. Isn't that how problems typically happen within the life of the church? They're small and incremental. Slowly and slowly things build up and things burst. We had an example of this quite literally last week or two weeks ago. The, the roof caved in and imploded on us just because of a slow, small, slow leak. That's a great illustration. I should have put that. I didn't put that in originally. Brothers, how often do we see a problem in this church and we do the exact same thing? We just bury ourselves in. We just grumble about a problem and the other party or the other person is none the wiser and continues to frustrate you or we neglect an issue that is actually important to us. On our car rides home from service, do you find yourselves grumbling? This person does this or this click does that and it hurts my feelings. Or I don't like their way of doing things. But rather than being proactive about the problem, we, we tend to excuse ourselves, right? 
Oh, I don't want to get into it with them about it. Or, or they should just see what I see without being told. And with this mindset, we keep our mouths shut and the person or group continue on in their annoying or hurtful habits that go unchecked. It could be a problem that doesn't involve anyone else, but it's still a problem that needs to be addressed, such as uh, copy paper and ink shortages. Thank you, brother. Uh, something like that, or a spill of water at fellowship meals, nursery duty overlap that, that needs to be addressed. Whatever it may be, do you find yourself grumbling about it or doing something about it? And typically, these smaller issues like this, they go bottled up until there are screams at the pastors for not taking care of your problem. Problems that are pernicious enough for you to harbor resentment should be addressed and repented from. They should be addressed with wisdom and love for the other person and with a winsome behavior. But they should be defined clearly so that you and the other members may benefit. Brothers, I I say this to Mary, and she's not here right now, and I told her that I was going to talk bad about her tonight. And so here it is, sweetheart. Brothers, do yourself a favor. If you see a problem that constantly perturbs you, either get over it or address it. Don't wait until your problem explodes into a mess for someone else to clean up. I love you, sweetheart. Moving on. When we see a problem, certain questions should come into our minds as we try to seek a solution. And one of the first questions that we must ask is this. Who is responsible for this problem? What should happen? And what can I do? This brings us to our second point for this evening, the obvious solution. When we see an obvious problem, we need to seek an obvious solution. See in verse 2 how the apostles respond to the problem that arose. They, They say this, the apostles, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What the apostles do here is that they delegate problems to the other church members. This is good leadership. Problems that do not immediately deal with the ministry of the word is not the apostles' problem. Not immediately. Notice how the apostles break down the problem and provide an obvious solution. We can see this in about four steps. First, they recognize the obvious problem. Two, they delineate who is responsible for the problem. Three, they provide an informed and godly way forward. And four, they give a reason why they delegate this problem. So first, the apostles don't go along with the rest of the church. They didn't bury themselves in the problem by either neglecting the problem or grumbling about it. Since the problem became so large, they were the ones who had to address it because of the other members' failures. Two, after seeing the problem, we see the apostles also guide the members of the church to see their responsibility. The church's responsibility in this issue and for them to work toward a solution. In verse 3, in light of the apostles' primary duty of the word, the apostles command the church this. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you, you, 
the apostles distinguished their responsibilities from the responsibilities of the rest of the members. They weren't neglecting their responsibility. They were teaching and calling the church to, uh, and the, calling the rest of the church to see their responsibility in the matter. Notice that they don't only have a few key members in on how to decide the problem. Notice that they call all the members of the church to see that, that that's plural you. It's the full member. They call the entire church to come and understand the problem and to see the solution. And they call them to the higher calling of being active and being part of the solution. They call all the members of the church to see that they have a responsibility to ensure the smooth sailing of the church. They were to pick from among them who is to be responsible for this unique problem. This is how we get deacons. Three, uh, they provide a godly way forward. But since the problem has gotten so large at this point, this distribution problem, the apostles also provide a way forward for the church. They give guidance that is wise in dealing with unique problems in the life of the church. And this suggestion gives way to the biblical precedent and the command to elect deacons for such tasks. The apostles didn't lead the church to go back to being frustrated in their own problem, but provided a reasonable, informed, and godly decision to aid the church in their responsibility. For, again, we shouldn't see this as the apostles not stepping up to the plate. We should see it as the apostles setting the church in right order so that they might be fruitful and productive in their service to one another. The apostles are setting the church up right so that they are able to serve one another correctly in a godly way. Ones that don't bury themselves in the problem, but the ones who seek a solution. The apostles had the great task before them of preaching the word. And so they rightly delegate and raise up the church to see their responsibility in these matters. Brothers, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but you do see how our elders are mirroring the apostles here. In the biblical pattern of church governance, which is what we see in Acts 6, we see the elders raising up the church to see their responsibility to solve problems or issues that come up. It is the responsibility of the church, us guys, not, not, not the pastors, not the elders explicitly, but us together as a body. It is our responsibility to solve problems. It is our responsibility of the church to call a new pastor. But our current elders are guiding us to look for the right qualifications, the right doctrine, the right fit, so that we might be better prepared for later. Our elders are aiding us in simply providing good biblical and reasonable solutions. So we should honor and respect that by giving attention to what they say and acting upon it. In doing so, we will follow the pattern of the early church. See how the church responded to the apostles' advice in verse 5. And what they said, what the apostles says, their godly solution, what they said pleased the whole gathering. It pleased the whole church. So not, so not only did the church agree, but they were pleased with the reasonable and godly solution. But more so, they acted on it. Verse 5, it continues. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. 
These, they, the church, set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. In verses 5 and 6, we see the church act. They go towards the solution. We see them take the apostles' godly counsel and act upon it. The church sees the problem, and they act upon the wise and godly solution set forth by the apostles. This should be the pattern for us as well. We should know what the Bible teaches and act on it, even with the most mundane of issues or problems. Sometimes we have an issue that we can't immediately solve through clear scriptural teaching or reasoning. Sometimes our problems are become too great, so we need biblical counsel through godly and qualified leaders. But at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, the church should see their responsibility to tackle a problem head on. We should see it as our responsibility, no, what, no matter what it is, whether it's getting crayons for the Sunday school room or trying to elect a new elder. We should see our responsibility to one another. We should see ourselves as loving one another in these ways. There's one more point that we can take away from these verses. Notice the names of the men who are elected. Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas. These are all Greek names, Hellenist names. Isn't it interesting that the men listed here come from the group that solved the problem in the first place? Remember that it was the Hellenists who highlighted the problem, who grumbled about it, and the church saw fit to elect men from that group, the Hellenists, to become the first deacons. We can take two things from this point. First, this should teach us something about the characteristics that are to mark deacons. Deacons should be those who have a natural inclination to tackle problems within the church because they are able to see them and resolve them in a godly manner. We should properly distinguish these seven men from the rest of the Hellenists who grumbled. Where the Hellenists grumbled, as the text says in verse 1, the seven deacons exemplified what the apostles described in the new office. Deacons are to be of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom. These are not categories associated with grumbling. Grumbling is sin, of not of good repute. So those who are called to serve in the diaconal ministry are to exemplify godly qualities, just as an elder is to do in his office. Second, what we can take from, the, from this fact of them being Greeks, or I'm sorry, Hellenists, I think this pattern shows us that those who see a problem should be the ones who work towards resolving the problem. I recently rediscovered my love for my Kindle because you can download really cheap books really, really quick. It's very, very dangerous, particularly to our bank account. One of the books that I recently read was on evangelism and creating an evangelistic culture in the church. I highly recommend it. It's Mark Stiles' um, Evangelism. It's a nine marks book. So Tiago's endorsed it immediately. Kidding. Uh, in the book, the author is telling a story of how most people deal with issues of effective evangelizing. A young woman asked the author, author, there's a new group of unreached immigrants that have moved into the neighborhood. What programs or procedures should the church and leadership take in evangelizing this community. 
The young woman had a wonderful eye in catching an opportunity to share the gospel. But she assumed that the only way to reach people was through some program that the church had to magically conjure up, right? Do you see that? She went towards the church first and foremost. The author used this story to make the point that gospel opportunities are not top-down procedures. It's a grassroots operation. The young woman should not have seen her seen this uh, evangelism opportunity as the chore of the others, even though they should be excited and should be enthralled to be a part of it. But it wasn't that, oh, the church needs to magically conjure up a VBS or an outreach ministry for this particular group right at this very second. It was on her. It was her responsibility to begin the process of making conversation, making friends, sharing the gospel with these peoples, because she was the one who saw it. I think this principle of grassroots service should exemplify how we, as individual members and families, who ultimately come together with all of our natural giftings and talents to the church, approaches the issues and problems in the church. Just as the Hellenists saw a problem and it was the Hellenists who were the ones who stepped up to the plate, those who see a problem should be the ones to fix it. If we see an issue, brothers and sisters, a problem or an opportunity, then we should do something about it. Unless it requires the aid of the church or if you need wisdom in how to approach, and that's what the, approach is, the church is here for, to aid and guide and fellowship and love one another and seeking to be disciple-makers. But we have the impetus to do it ourselves. We have the, uh, the, the call to be disciple-makers or problem-solvers in the church. Unless it requires the aid of the church, we, need, we can and should seek a solution to the problems that present themselves. Brothers, the applications here are numerous. I'll limit myself to one. When Mary and I first joined the church, Tiago and his family were very intentional in getting to know us and welcoming us. At first, I thought it was his Portuguese fervor, but that was far from the truth. He's a Westerner just like the rest of us. He likes his space and, their, and his time. But he and Marta were faithful in denying themselves and taking up the responsibility themselves to welcome us. Before Tiago even preached on the subject of hospitality, the Oliveras were constantly welcoming people in their homes. Tiago didn't exhort us to biblical hospitality and then started practicing it. The Oliveras were already in the practice, and because they were already in the practice, we saw as a church the benefit of exemplifying such hospitality. What we are to see here is that the Oliveras, not the pastor and his wife, not the pastor and his wife, don't read it as that, not the pastor and his family, but members of the local church, they were tackling an issue or an opportunity with godly resolve. Brothers, whether it is a problem, an issue, or an opportunity, we had the responsibility as members of Christ's church to find a solution to that problem, tackle that issue, or ensure that an opportunity to share or adorn the gospel does not pass us by. And if we are faithful in that, there is great reward. This brings us to our third and final point. 
when we seek the obvious solution to the obvious problem, we will see an obvious reward. The church electing deacons as the solution to the problem of neglecting widows had a profound impact on the gospel community. Not only was the entire church pleased by the apostles' solutions, they saw the great benefit of good solutions and good order being executed. In verse 7, we read these words. If you would, please read there with me. Verse 7. And the word of God, the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Because the word was not hindered, the church was able to multiply. But not only that, the Jewish priests saw the care and attention of the deacons and the church, and they themselves were warmed to the glorious light of the gospel. The priests, being the ones who distributed food in Jerusalem, ones who had that act and that social dynamic, they saw the distinct love and devotion Christians demonstrated for those in need, so much to the point that they elected someone to do it. For the ones who knew that God's law commanded compassion for the poor, the Levitical priests, the Jewish priests, saw the care that the church had and were drawn towards not Jewish law, but towards Christ. This is ultimately what comes by the church exemplifying holy pragmatism. There was a problem, a true legitimate problem, and the church resolved it through godly solutions And the church flourished because of it. It adorned the gospel. Brothers, when we operate and serve as members of this church, Grace Baptist will flourish as well. And the reason it flourishes is because this is ultimately the pattern of service that our Lord exemplified for us. As fallen sinners, we face the greatest problem of all humanity, separation from our God. We were separated from God and we could do nothing to fix or solve that horrendous problem. But Christ, who saw our problem, came to provide the solution. He gave himself to die for our sin that we might commune with our God yet again. And it is is in this great act of service he built his church. And not only did he build his church, his church His church flourished because his people were given to one another in service. To serve the church, brothers, in small or large capacities, to solve problems, great and small, whether it's trying to get crayons, trying to get a new preacher, whether it's trying to fix a part on some uh, part of the... Uh, church van for whatever reason, or if it's trying to figure out what our doctrine or statement of faith is, and that's not going anywhere, but you get the idea. Lord, brothers, in any of these capacities, whether it's, if there's a problem that we see, if we have the capacity and the resolve to go forward, to fix it, if we execute it well, this pattern of service glorifies our God whether in small things or in big things. I'll close with these thoughts. Just as the priest who saw the beauty in the service of the church, 
there's some in our community as well who will see the beauty in our service to one another. When we give ourselves to loving one another as Christ has loved us through loving service, this adorns the gospel. When we love through service because of the gospels, others who see our love through service may come to love the gospel itself. In a day and age where people crave for authenticity, people crave for authenticity. In a day and age where people see so many problems in the world, the church, Grace Baptist included, can be that voice and picture of godly solution through loving service. As the church handles its affairs and issues, both great and small, that are common to all men in in a godly and direct way, if we are as this kind of uh, uh, church, if we are a godly, problem-solving, solution-oriented church in this way, this world that craves structure and resolve will find it in us. The church through holy pragmatism, if we can call it that, I think a better way to put it is loving service to one another. Through holy, loving service and love for one another, can we adorn the gospel and have others love it as well. When we as a church show the way forward for our communities, whether in big or small issues, we glorify Christ. Brothers, this is not hard. This is not difficult. This is not far off. These are tiny steps in which when we go forward in godly habits and behaviors, seeing how we can love one another in various ways, God, our Christ, is glorified. May Christ be glorified in both the small and large issues that will surely come our way, but he will keep us and guide us through those as well. Let us pray.